past three Sundays, we have been going through our SOAP session series. SOAP, standing for scripture, observation, application, and prayer, is a devotional tool that helps us integrate our scripture reading and observations into personal and active reflection. This week, I chose to reflect on the passages in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a very vivid and at times frightening book and it can be confusing without understanding the particular experience and circumstances of the people of Israel within the story, which we will cover in a moment. But first I wanted to quickly share with you a story or memory that came up for me as I was processing the Ezekiel passages with Carl and Glenn earlier this week. One Saturday when I was young, probably around four years old, my mom woke me up early on a Saturday to go on errands with her, as many moms do. We stopped at the JCPenney department store, and as we were traveling down the escalator, one of my shoelaces got untied and managed to get stuck on the side of the steps. When we reached the bottom, I tried to walk away, but my shoelace was tightly trapped. These days, most of the escalators have them covered, but back then there was always this exposed part where the rubber railing would circle down to be rotated back to the top. My four-year-old foot was being pulled into that small opening and it was quickly starting to get squashed between the rubber railing. The railing, which was moving pretty fast, started shaving down some of the skin around my ankle. With my foot and my shoe out of reach, my mom held on to me so that no more of my leg would get pulled in. Now, JCPenney's employees nearby rushed to try to get the escalator turned off. Eventually they did, and we got my ankle bandaged up. And to this day, my body remembers this experience, and I always hesitate or have to take a moment before I get onto the escalator. Until my early 20s, though, the way I remembered this event was slightly different, and it is the way my brain still remembers it to this day. For nearly 20 years, I thought I had been electrocuted by the escalator. It was such a traumatic experience for me as a four-year-old that I remember seeing blue electricity and these mini lightning bolts that were hitting my foot because I had been in such pain from it. And that is the story I told until my mom heard me one day and had to correct me on some of the details and images that my brain had created. In the trauma and continuous reliving of that moment, I had created a monster out of the escalator. Both stories describe this painful experience in a similar context. But the funny thing about something being traumatic is that the pain of the experience, which we often relive in our minds over and over, can sometimes take on dramatic images in our memory. The book of Ezekiel is a book written about the traumatic experiences of the people of Israel who are taken into exile by Babylon and scattered in different communities to live and work under the shadow of empire. Using similar dramatic imagery and metaphor, it describes their story through visions of the past and the future. Now, this is a book steeped in trauma and centered by loss. Those in exile had lost their home, all of their possessions, their land, and many people they knew 
had lost their lives. Their kingdom had fell, Jerusalem was captured, and it was eventually destroyed. But it finally culminated with the ultimate and most disorienting loss, which was the destruction of the first temple. The people of Israel's understanding of God at that point had become centered on Torah and temple. The temple was the ultimate physical representation of God's presence with them and God's protection over them. In the ancient world in which Israel existed, when a deity had their temple or sacred place defiled and destroyed by an enemy, culturally, it meant that their God had left them or been defeated. This way of thinking would have affected some of the people of Israel who experienced these events and lived to tell the tale. Either God had been defeated or God had discarded and abandoned them. More than just the physical losses they face, they were also struck with the loss of identity and a shaken faith. Truth be told, violent empires always leave this kind of destruction and cultural erasure in its wake. The book of Ezekiel is written from this lens of grief and communal trauma. When we experience grief and trauma, it is natural for us as humans to respond in disbelief or to disassociate from the event as a way to cope. They expected God to intervene before it got to this point, but he didn't. Their new disbelief manifested itself in questions like, where was God in all of this? Why did this happen? In those moments, God did not feel like God who is Emmanuel, God with us, but God to whom the psalmist and Jesus cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken or abandoned me? The book of Ezekiel ultimately looks to answer that question. Why? Why did this happen to us? Why have you abandoned us? It seeks to make sense and give a reason for the tragedy and to make sense of God's character in light of the destruction and pain. These questions get brought before the Lord through the prophet Ezekiel. In the first chapters, the prophet Ezekiel communicates dreamlike visions brought by the presence of God to the leaders and the people of Israel in exile. In a full display of power, and splendor, these visions show the people of Israel that the temple being destroyed was not a sign of God's weakness. In fact, the temple could never contain or represent the breadth of his presence. As God's spirit met with Ezekiel, it showed that God's presence was mobile, could meet them anywhere, and that God knew exactly where they were. They were not hidden from his sight. Exile itself could become a sacred space if God was there. However, as an answer to the question why God did this, much of Ezekiel's visions accuse the people of Israel for their idolatry, violence, and greed as the main reason. Truthfully, those who were taken into exile in Babylon were actually more of the elite 
upper class, and tradesmen of Jerusalem and Judah society. The poorest were left behind to fend for themselves. They were left vulnerable to roaming armies and this newly dismantled society. The people in exile used to be families with resources, and most likely they were the ones who created or participated in the system, which God exposes as being violent, idolatrous, and greedy. God reminds Ezekiel and those in exile that they had agency and that they could not consider themselves blameless in this situation. In fact, being conquered by Babylon was not necessary. Exile did not have to happen. Even from a historical standpoint, the decisions of a few fearful and self-motivated leaders ended up triggering Babylon's final decision to conquer Jerusalem. And even though there were famines and constant threats of war that left the people of Israel struggling, many in Israel took advantage of that situation to grow in wealth and to push others further into poverty. The desperate situation made many feel as though God could not see them, but they used that to rig the systems of power in their favor while abusing others. In times of famine, those who had very little had to sell what they had in order to be able to feed their families. When they ran out of things to sell, the next option was to go into debt by borrowing food in order to get what they needed to survive. Usually, this would be from the same people who bought their land and goods in the first place. And if they couldn't pay off their debts, then they were left with no choice but to sell themselves and their families into slavery in order to fulfill what they owed. It is not hard to make parallels between this and our society today, especially with the ongoing pandemic. The consequences of the decisions made by those in power affect everyone. Often those that have the least suffer the most. And humans, time and time again, will take advantage of suffering for profit, especially if that is how the system is created and if everyone continues to participate. In response to this, Glenn mentioned to me earlier this week that our systems will either destroy us or liberate us, but we are the ones that build them. And it may not feel like God sees, but he does. However, God's agency is always making space for human agency. It is easy to blame God for bloodshed, forgetting that it all happens by human hands. It is easy to blame God for the systems and violence and greed that we have created, while we silently participate in unjust systems that take advantage of our most vulnerable. But God holds humans responsible for the systems we create and the injustice and violence they produce. We never lose agency or our responsibility for our sister and brother. Yes, according to Ezekiel's visions, essentially for Israel, the punishment fits the crime. 
However, there are still many moments where even in the midst of seeing Israel's many crimes, Ezekiel cries out to God, will you, will you destroy all who remain? Ezekiel cries out for the end of suffering and bloodshed at the hands of empire. There are still innocent people who pay the price along with the guilty. Israel has its crimes, but it is also part of their experience to have suffered greatly under the crushing weight of the surrounding empires. As a people, they still have communally experienced trauma by violence. As Carl also pointed out to me earlier this week, these cycles of violence become systems of violence, where eventually we all lose. But most especially, it is the poor who suffer the most. It is here where the people of God are called to resist, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. This is a beautiful picture of the relationship between divine and human agency working as active agents to create systems that give life instead of take it. The story of Ezekiel is a painful one. Yes, the book ends in a fragile but realistic hope for the promise of recreation, but not after a grueling reckoning of both recovery and repentance. Ezekiel is filled with Good Friday theology which is the idea that before there can be a resurrection, something has to die. The valley of bones comes before the army. Grief comes before rebirth. Hope can be hollow if we rush to it without mourning, lamenting, and repenting the things that are not right. But hope is on the other side of grief. And the beauty and faithfulness of the character of God is that in all these circumstances, God refuses to allow our suffering to be meaningless.